Man, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be worshiping with you. And uh, man, it's time to kind of be re-rallying the troops, right? We're heading into summer. We're getting a little bit of a fresh start on our mental state, and we're trying to get squared away on where we're headed. We're in the middle of a sermon series here. We're in the middle because there's only three, and so we did one last week, and we'll have one next week, but a three-week sermon series, and this is called Our Dwelling Place, Our Dwelling Place, and we're walking through what does it mean to have God Almighty as our dwelling place? What does that look like? When we think of the word dwell, right, we looked at it last week, it means to find safety in, security in, protection in, provision in our God, to lean on Him, to have relationship with Him, our dwelling place. God Almighty, may He be celebrated in your life as you learn to spend time with Him. And uh, so we're walking through two Psalms, Psalm chapter 90 and Psalm 91. And uh, Psalm 90, we did the first half last week, and we're doing the second half this week here. And our job is really just to see him as our dwelling place. That's the kind of the overriding theme between the two. Psalm 90 is actually the oldest of all the Psalms. Of the 150 Psalms, Psalm 90 was written by Moses. It is the oldest, all right? And so we're walking through the second half of that. And as I was kind of pouring over it this week and getting ready, I was... Um, sort of trying to think through some of the words in the passage and get prepped for it. And uh, I'll just tell you, our family's been doing some adjustments this summer, and uh, a couple of us have decided we're going to go on a little bit of a, I don't know if diet's the right word, but uh, we're going to eat less carbs, more protein. That's where we've been going, trying to do a little bit healthier element with that. And uh, I'm a meat lover. I love to eat meat. So for me, this is like this is like, hey, do you want to eat chocolate cake all day long? Like, that's how it feels. I love eating meat, so get to pour into that. And uh, here's one thing I noticed, though. When you stop eating that chocolate cake and you don't have those carbs for a number of days or even a couple of weeks, your taste buds are uh, very ready to taste that. And... Uh, so there was a point, actually, I grabbed some strawberries, and I took a bite into one of these strawberries, and the explosion of flavor in my mouth was, like, unbelievable. And I'm telling you, I was literally, my mouth started to pucker up. It made me smile. Somebody walked in the room as I'm eating it, and they're like, enjoying that? Like, <laughs> and I, as I set it down, I'm telling you, your taste buds get so dulled by just kind of pounding the sugars of the world and all of a sudden getting off of that for a little bit makes me so ready, so satisfied in the midst of that single couple of bites from that strawberry and satisfaction. And we're talking about that with our God today. It's going to be one of the topics that comes up and I'm telling you a lot of times we are feeding on all the wrong things. And so all of a sudden, it gets very hard, really, to be satisfied with the things of God. But when we end up setting those down and we get after the things of God, it is amazing how just one bite of that, and the psalmist says in Psalm 37, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's something that just is explosively satisfying and rewarding when we're not feeding ourselves with the junk of the world. And all of God's people said, right? And so our job here is to dig in 
and learn a little bit from the scripture and say, God, help me to be satisfied with you, all right? That's the second half of the psalm that we're going to be digging into, and the title today is, I will be satisfied in him. If we're going to find a dwelling place in him, we're going to learn to be satisfied in him, all right? So here we go, point number one, admit, admit that apart from God, our lives are sinful, short, and sorrowful. Apart from God, sinful, short, and sorrowful, we need a Savior. And uh, you might be here today and you're like, I don't really want to admit that. I kind of want to say, I am awesome. And uh, really, we have to be super careful with how we live life. And the phrase that was written here, apart from God, short and sinful, we're in need of a Savior, all right? That's where we're headed here. And uh, this was pointed out pretty strongly last week in the psalm. And Moses walked through the greatness of God and then the smallness of man, right? And so he was like, God is eternal. He exists from eternity past to eternity future. There is never a point where God began, and there will never be a point where God ends. His time is eternal. But more than that, God never changes He says, I am the Lord your God, I change not. It's Malachi 3. And and because of that, God never changing, we can lean on his character, we can trust in his character, we can hope in his character. God, eternally existent, always the same, always to be trusted. God is love. God is holiness and righteousness. And yes, God has a plan. And man, he's over the whole thing. It brings a huge hope for us. And um, God is eternal, and he was super clear, and we are not, right? And uh, we are temporal. We are short-lived, and we're going to see more of that come up in the passage today. So here we go. Let's jump in. We'll start in verse 9. It says, for all our days pass away under your wrath. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Remember, we're picking up off of where we were with the psalm last week. And he was kind of walking through the God stands against sin. And uh, God is love. Everybody say God is love. God is love. And America loves to sell that that's the only thing God is. But that's missing a huge part of the point. God is love, yes, but God is holy. God is righteous. God takes a stand. You heard me say this last week. But true love truly hates. True love will stand against that which is putting in jeopardy the things they're loving, the things they're going after. And God stands for love and stands for those who are with him and he's pouring it on. But I'm telling you, God abhors evil. And uh, Romans 12, super clear about that. Love what is good, abhor what is evil. True love truly hates. And God does take a stand against wrong, absolutely. And that's what this verse is nailing down. It says, for all our days pass away under your wrath, God is taking a stand against sin. And it's a huge deal. And we are sinful. From birth, sinful, right? And some of you here might be like, I don't know if I really like that statement, from birth, sinful. I'm, I, I kind of like the idea of thinking of children as, uh, we'll use the word innocent. And, and look, here's the bottom line. Kids are just sweet as all get out. Love, love kids, love playing with kids, but here's the reality. How many kids have you known 
that in the middle of the night when they're crying, are crying for you, mom, because of how hard it is for you? Or are they crying for themselves? Somebody change the diaper. Right now, please. Somebody get me something to drink I need, right? The cry is for self. And the cry isn't for you as much as they will eventually love you, mom. The cry right now is truly this, I have a need. Can you please come fill it? And uh, from that moment, we start growing up through our years. And uh, man, we live for self and we need to learn not to live for self. There's a point where we even grasp that it's about Jesus Christ and handing it over to him. And that's what salvation is, that we're making Christ Lord in our lives. And uh, here it says, for all our days pass away under your wrath, God takes a stand in this broken world against sin. And we said this last week as well, clearly stated, just want to make sure we say it again. Man, this world is broken. And all of God's people said, and this world is broken. And there's a lot of stuff that comes down that hurts. And here's the reality. And we brought the brokenness. Sin ushered into the world is what brought in the brokenness. And the hurt and the toil and the pain and even the death, death comes by sin. And so Adam's choice of sin brings forth death. And if you and I were in place of Adam and it was our choice, we'd have made the same move. He was a great representative of all mankind. And sin brings forth death. This world has a ton of pain and punishment in it. And we experience some of that hurt on a daily basis. Hear me on this now. And praise God for every breath moment you get to breathe where you're not experiencing that. We seem to forget that. We get into this world and we get these um, kind of collective experiences that are all going really well and we're like, that's the way it should be. And uh, in fact, no, that's not the way it should be. That's a blessed, gracious moment of God pouring into your life. And every breath we breathe where we get to taste of something good is a pleasure that God is allowing us through his love and his graciousness. And all of God's people said, that's a huge deal, man. There's a deep theology in that. And I'm telling you, it changes how we walk through this world. When we start walking through this world saying, I expect comfort, it changes everything. It messes us up. It weakens us. And when we start walking through this world saying, God, I have a selfish struggle and it needs to go. And may this world be all about your glory and Lord, I want to be here for you and whatever needs to change, may it change. I'm telling you, it'll rock your world. That little moment of worship will change everything. The psalmist says, for all our days pass away under your wrath. Yes, God, you are watching over the sinful brokenness of this world. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Moses is uh, a deep poet, right? And we all know what a sigh is, right? A sigh is where we're like, ah. Right? Everybody do it with me. What's a sigh? And that's how long our lives are. That's what he's saying. Our lives are like a sigh. There's a little bit of expression, and then it's done. And we bring our end like a sigh, shortly, briefly, and a statement made. And while there is eternity in God, man, there is not eternity in us. In fact, 
He says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. And uh, he's like, man, I'm telling you, you live to 70 or 80 years old, and, and man, that's, a, that's like a blessing moment. This is Moses talking. Now remember, this is a guy who lived to be 120 years old. God viewed him to be kind of at a righteous level, and there was certain blessing that came with. He lived to be 120. Can you imagine that? Your friends are dying off at 70 and 80, and you're on for 40 more years, Right? And uh, he lived to be 120, but he's like, man, that's not the average age around here. And a 70, or if by strength, 80. And, uh, you know, some of us are getting closer and closer to these kinds of numbers. Isn't it amazing? The closer the numbers get, you're like, that's not that old. (laughs) That's kind of our view, right? And uh, I remember my thought of the age 50 when my dad turned 50, and I was like, wow, that's like almost over. And now I'm 52, and I'm like, we've just begun, right? Here we go, and, and uh, right? It's amazing how perspective sort of shifts for us, and we don't know how old Moses was when he wrote this, but his perspective is, look, 70 if by strength, 80, and uh, man, our lives are short-lived. God, for all eternity, remember what it said last week, in all of eternity, a thousand years for God is like a day. And we get to put 70 or 80 onto our lives here on earth, and that's it, right? And uh, God willing, for some of us, 90 and 100, right? And uh, we would love to be blessed with that. And God, we are trusting in you. It says, yet their span is but toil and trouble. Their span is but toil and trouble. Now, if we're going to be real here, right? Genesis chapter 3 says that we should toil in our labor. I'm just going to say this again. Work is not the curse of sin. Y'all get that, right? They were to be working before they sinned, and then they were to be working after they sinned. The curse was the toil and the trouble that came with it, not just the straight enjoyment and success of it. Uh, Yes, there was to be gardening and caretaking beforehand. They were to be working. So work is not your curse, okay? But the toil in the midst of That's part of what comes in this broken world. And he says there's toil and there's trouble. There's heartache. There's stuff that we go through. Maybe it's physical struggles, health stuff. Maybe there's social relational struggles. Maybe somebody is sinning and it is washing on your shore. And it's hurting, man. There is toil and there is trouble and there is heartache across the span of life. It says they are soon gone. And we fly away. They are soon gone and we fly away. Now, I love that statement. Um, I'm not sure I've heard that before. I didn't really catch that before. But when you're using a phrase like death and you get to now rephrase it, flying away, right? There's a high favorable to that. And there's something being said. Where are we flying away from? From this broken world and its physical toil and trouble, and where are we flying away to? If you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, everybody say if. If there is a trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, if we're leaning on Him, if we're saying, God, you're in charge, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin, I'm trusting in you, you are King of my life, I believe you're risen from the dead and I confess you as Lord. If that, man, this flying away right? It's to a perfection in heaven for all of eternity. 70, 80, 90 years here on this earth, and then 
eternity with our God. And fly away is the phrase. Praise God for that, right? And man, we have hope. It's not just here on earth. We don't just live for the here and now. We live for the there and then. We live for a time where God gets all the glory and there is no more sin. Can you imagine the moment where you don't have to struggle with you and your selfish attitude? Can you imagine the moment where you don't have to struggle with your friend's selfish struggle, right? And I'm telling you, it's an amazing moment when sin is done and perfection is on and God gets all the glory. We're headed for that place and it says that we may fly away there. And, uh, you know, my sister passed away when she was 20 years old and uh, it was a hard, hard time for our family. Honestly, still is at times. And uh, hard, hard time to grasp. There was one word that was, actually there were a couple words that were not allowed to be used in our home for several years. One of those was the word death and one of those was the word cemetery. That had to be called the park. And uh, we just were not, it was such a tender topic. And uh, man, it was hurtful. And those words were, at best I can say, um, descriptive and painful, right? And so we tried to stay off of them. And Moses here is like, I'm just telling you, then comes flying away. And he's like changing the word and he's helping us to understand that in the struggle and the smallness of this place, there is something coming, man. There is greatness coming. We have hope. We have life. We have eternity with God Almighty. That is our hope. Amen. Man, do not cling to this place like this is all we've got. We have so much more in Jesus Christ as we find our dwelling place in him, yes, here and now, and yes, there and then. Hope in Jesus Christ. Man, there's a huge, huge promise. He says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Really, Moses is saying this, God, we barely get and understand how right you are. We barely understand how appropriate your position against sin is. In fact, most sin we start dismissing away. Well, it wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, it was a little moment of an attitude, but I got over it. And, and I wasn't really carrying it for long, so... And I'm not even sure I'd call that sin, right? We start having those talks with ourselves. And we're literally dismissing away wrong behavior, wrong action, wrong attitude before an almighty, holy God. And he's like, man, we barely properly understand what it is when we're talking about your anger. And, uh, you know, it's really hard for us to understand the word anger. And uh, mostly because we as human beings fail epically at being angry and not sinning, right? We bring a mess into our homes when we bring our anger in the home. That's just the reality. Now, Scripture says, be ye angry and sin not, right? Ephesians 4, there is a chance to be angry and not sin, and God has that under control. Unfortunately, we rarely do. And so when we taste of anger from our parents or from our kids or from a family member in some way, shape, or form, the reality is it's usually sinful anger. It's self-expressed and wrongly done, and, and that's all we know of it. So when we see God's angry, we're like, whoa, what is up with that? And uh, here's what's up with it, all right? 
Let's just talk it through. Biblical anger. Here's five elements that are true about biblical anger. Good to write these down. Good to make sure you've got it. Five elements that are true about a biblical, godly anger. Here we go. Number one, it is on right grounds. It is on right grounds. Like you understand what's happening and you have the the anger about the right stuff. It is seeing sin for sin. It is on right grounds. Right? Number two, it is at the right person. It is at the right person. Have you ever had that moment where something happens and it gets you a little bent and you're not really happy with it and you're like, why, would, why did they do that? And you sit on it. You don't address it with them. You're stewing. Now you move on. You move into another room, another place in the house, another place at work. Something happens. Somebody says something and you've been boiling on how could they have, and now you're, and then they, this littlest, smallest thing comes out, and you're like, hey, right? And all of a sudden, we deliver, what are you doing with? And they're like, whoa, where's that coming from? Well, actually, it's coming from over there, right? And it's been fueled by something else, and uh, often we direct our anger at the wrong person, and uh, they happen to be the last in line when we couldn't hold it anymore. That's where they're at. And the right person we probably needed to talk to way earlier before we got all bent. And uh, it's on right grounds. It's at the right person. It's in the right manner. In the right manner. All we know of anger, we would really, typically we think of it as a temper tantrum. Right? And loud and yelling and meanish of sorts. And that's not it. In a right manner. It's standing up against. Remember, God is love. It's not God is loving. So even as he stands against sin, he does not drop that he is love. And let those two work together. I will stand against what's wrong, and I am love. That's God in a right manner. At the right moment. That's number four. At the right moment. So on right grounds, at right persons, in the right manner, at the right moment, not waiting and capping off later, right? Right there where it needs to be dealt with, addressing it as it is and making sure that sin is properly managed and then for the right length of time. For the right length of time. Man, are you one of those people where you seem to always be capping off because that event we're talking about over here actually occurred 14 years ago, 24 years ago, 35 years ago, and I cannot let it go. That bitterness will chew at your soul, and what will pour out of you will always be hurtful towards another person when, in fact, here is where you're really hurt and upset, right? And being able to direct that at the right spots and talk about it in the right way and with love at a center and standing against what is wrong and Man, all those things so utterly essential, on right grounds, at the right person, in the right manner, at the right moment, for the right length of time. A godly anger. And this is our God, right? It says that uh, your wrath according to the fear of you, like as we properly understand, as fear is rightly due you, so, Lord, we grasp you standing in this world against sin. And a huge deal. You know, it's, it's easy for us to get wrapped up in this world and the things of this world. And 
And uh, it's not wrong. It, got, it is not wrong for us to enjoy this world. Everybody say it's not wrong. It isn't, man. It's not wrong to enjoy. And God has given this world and some of the pleasures of this world to be enjoyed, but never at the expense of standing away from God, never in place of, never as an idol in any way or anything like that. But yes, it's not wrong to go out and enjoy the sunshine. So hey, if you're one of those who loves 95 degree weather, God bless you. Have a great day, right? right? It's not wrong. It's not wrong to have some fun and enjoy some food and and be able to laugh together over a great meal, it's not wrong. And So here's a quote. Uh, this is from a famous cartoonist. His name was Ralph Barton. Ralph Barton. He was a famous cartoonist. He's already passed away. He said, um, I have had few difficulties. Uh, wow, congratulations, right? Uh, not many people can say that. I've had few difficulties. Like, my life has been really pretty simple, right? I've had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. Things were going well for Ralph, right? I've had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I have gone from wife to wife. Okay, let's not speak theologically about that right now. Not cool, but that for him was like some kind of favorable statement, I guess. Um, Stay with one wife. We all good with that? So let's not follow Ralph's statement here. I have gone from wife to wife, from house to house, I have visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. But I am fed up with inventing devices to fill 24 hours of the day. That was Ralph Barton's view of life. John Wesley's view. I want the whole Christ for my Savior. The whole Bible for my book. I want the whole church for my fellowship and the whole world for my mission field. May God get the glory. And all of God's people said, man, you tell me which way is more right to live. Man, are you walking around developing devices to enjoy 24 hours a day? Or are you pouring in holy to Jesus Christ, to his word, to the plan he has in store? I want the whole Christ the whole Bible, the whole church, and the whole world as my mission field. May God get all the glory. I'm telling you, there is a depth of satisfaction in that that can only be had there. Ralph Barton was eating all the sweets he could possibly find, and he lost the taste of the strawberry. That's where he was at. He was drinking deeply of the sweets of this world, And he could not tell what the taste of his almighty God was anymore. Man, where are you at with your God? Simple question. Who or what is your savior? Is it the devices of each day and the enjoyments of each hour? Or is it Jesus Christ himself? Who is your savior? Are you inventing self-pleasure and satisfaction or are you willing to taste and see that the Lord is good? Are you sold out wholly for Jesus Christ? That's number one. Number two, dwell. Dwell with your holy, saving God. Learn, be satisfied, be sanctified. Dwell with your holy, saving God. Learn, 
be satisfied, be sanctified. Man, if you want to dwell with him, you need to be able to learn from him. If you want to dwell with him, you need to learn to be satisfied in him. If you want to dwell with him, you need to let him do a changing work in you. Be sanctified, okay? That's part of the dwelling. So here we go. We start out in these next few verses, starting in verse 12, and Moses is really, he's using the command form when he's talking to God. He's, he's getting um, kind of directive with God, but he's basically giving God permission to shape his life. So he's like, so teach us to number our days. He gives the command, you teach, but he's really saying, I want to learn. I'm ready to learn. Teach me to number my days. Teach us to number our days. And what's he really saying? God, may we grasp the smallness of our life, the shortness of its brevity, and help us to see each day as essential and important. Lord, may I grasp the preciousness of each moment and each breath with you. Lord, may I grasp that each time I do breathe a breath, it is grace from you poured out on me. May I count my days and number them. Meaning each morning when you wake up, a great way to wake it up, still laying in bed, is to say, good morning, Lord. I am ready to hand this day over to you, and God, where I'm not, please reveal it to me. I'm ready to hear it. I am ready to taste and see that you are good. And I'm telling you, that is an awesome startup prayer as you're getting ready to Figure out how to put your feet on the floor and find your way into the bathroom, right? Huge deal. And uh, he says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That we may get a heart of wisdom. I'm telling you, as we listen to God teach, we will get wise. We will understand how this world works and what's going on. Lance Armstrong, many of you know that name, a, a guy who is a famous athlete biker and, and uh, ended up getting busted doing some things with drugs and whatnot along the way. But Lance had a statement, live strong, live strong. And uh, all right, I'm just going to say this for those who are teachers in here, you're like, it's live strongly. Strong is an adverb that should have an L-Y on it. So if whoever's a teacher in here, you're like, thank you. My obsessive compulsive moment was freaking me out. And uh, you know who you are. So enjoy that little moment. The rest of you, you're like, what are you talking about? All right, here we go. Live strong. That was his battle cry. Live strong. Moses' battle cry. Live wise. Not the same thing at all. It's not stand up, muscle up, and make it happen yourself. It's not self-dependence and self-reliance. It is God-dependence and God-reliance. Live wise. Or for the teachers in the room, live wisely, right? And uh, live wise, get after it with all you've got. Make sure you're making much of your God and depending upon him. He says here, return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. We don't know what's going on in this psalm at this point, but something had gone on with Moses leading Israel and there were some pretty tough things happening. And he's like, we're ready to taste and see that you're good, Lord. Please come back. Please note this. It says, return, O Lord. Now take a good close look at it. Notice it's capital L, capital O, 
Capital R, capital D, right? This is the all caps. So here it's the personal name of God being used, Yahweh, the I am, the one who is eternally existent from eternity past to eternity future, Yahweh. When did Moses find out that that was the name of God? It was early on in the ministry, right before he had gotten going in Egypt, trying to lead Israel out, and he was at the burning bush. And he's like, how do I, how am I going to get them to trust me? He's like, tell them my name. My name is Yahweh. And he gave his personal name. So the fact that it's recorded here, you know that it's after the burning bush for sure in Moses' life. And probably into leading Israel out of Egypt in some way. Maybe it was when they were already in the desert and some things were going on. And he's like, Lord, please have pity on me. And then he gives another command-style statement just saying he's ready to depend on him. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Satisfy us. God, I am ready to taste and see of you. Lord, I am ready to be done with the things of this world and the expectations of comfort, and I am ready to see you. And in this world, what is the thing you want most? Think about that for a second. What is the thing you go after the most? Like when you don't get it, you get a bit bent. Moses is like, Lord, help me make that thing you and you alone. Satisfy me, Lord. May I lean on and trust in you. May nothing of this world be more important than you. Notice he says, satisfy us in the morning. That's really a statement of refreshment now. It's like we've gone through the cold, dark night and we're coming into the morning and God, I'm ready to be refreshed in you and I'm ready to taste of you. It's when that sunlight is hitting the horizon, when the birds start singing, there's a, almost a statement of hope that's coming in it as he's like, I'm ready. I'm ready now for you to start blessing on Our disobedience needs to be done and we're ready to hear from you. He says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. I love that statement. That's kind of a a power request, right? You're like, hey God, it's been a hard time and I know I've been wrong. I have so sinned, I have so been out of line. I recognize that you needed to stand against that. I get it. I, I grasp who you are and I'm standing with you now. Can we have a few good days, kind of like as many as the last were bad? Right? Could it get kind of just a little bit? Could we do that? Could I taste of your graciousness now as I stand in your presence and worship you? And uh, Lord, for as many years as you, as we have seen evil, may we now taste of the good and the glad in you, right? It's like the days and the years have mounted up. We've learned our lesson, God. We grasp your holiness and we grasp your graciousness and your love. I am ready to stand with you. Man, have you been going through a dark night? Have you been tasting of affliction or even evil and hurt and pain? Has it been a hard season's journey? Man, we are to see our God as that satisfying one we meet in the morning. 
as things start to rise. Lord, we look for this to transition. I am setting down my sin, and I am on with worshiping you. Bring it with all you've got, God. I am ready to lean on you with all I have. Man, if you are sitting in here today and you're like, I've been clinging to this sin, it is time to be done finding that as the device that brings some sort of good feeling for today. It is time to be done with the sin. I'm setting it down, Lord, and I'm ready to be finding my satisfaction in you and you alone. Man, what is that sin you trip on? We each have ours. Maybe you even have a couple. You're like, boy, if I was going to make my list, I need a new pen, right? And like, what is it you're struggling with? And it's time to set it down and say, God, I'm ready for you to make me glad. He says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. God, reveal your power to me. Reveal your greatness in me. Remember, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next by the power of the Holy Spirit, doing something we cannot barely understand. And uh, check this out, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. Far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. That's what he's able to do, right? Man, consider this. What is your greatest struggle today? What is it? Get it in your head. Got it? Greatest struggle. Now, what would it look like for that to be resolved? Imagine it fixed, addressed, healed, changed. Got it? Now listen to this verse. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. Whatever you just came up with is small. God's power unleashed in your life, man. Let him move. And all of God's people said, and that is a huge promise that we have him at work in us. Lord, may we taste of the graciousness of your power. It says, uh, after that, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, may you reveal your graciousness. Lord, may you uh, pour it on. God, I am ready to find you as my dwelling place. I am ready to lean on you with all I've got. Lord, whatever I step into to put effort on, God, may you pour in your blessing on that. Please notice it says, for the work of our hands. Notice it does not say, God, please give me while I do not work. Everybody say it doesn't say that, right? And scripture calls us to clear effort. Yes, step it up, step it out, and with your God. God, may you do a mighty work in, around, and through that. I am gonna step out faithfully trusting in you. May you pour your favor on. I am ready to trust in you, my king. I am ready to trust in you, my God. I am ready to trust in the one who has all of eternity as his nickname. I am ready to grasp you, the creator who speaks and it is, the sustainer who by his presence keeps it all in play. I am ready. 
I am ready to worship the one who is love. I am ready. I am ready to see you celebrated in my life. God, may you, the great one, get all the attention. May me, the small one, get on my knees. That's Psalm chapter 90. So we have one job here to close this out. I'm going to read some phrases, and you're going to say back to me a phrase. Your phrase is, you are great. Say it with me. Say it loud. You are great. Say it bigger. Say it louder. You are great. We are talking to God Almighty here, and you have a job. After every phrase, you're going to say what? Here we go. You are eternal. I am temporal. You are great. You are creator. I am created. You are great. You are savior. I am a sinner. You are great. You are coming king, and I am saved and trusting in you. You are great. He is our hope. He is the great God Almighty. He is our dwelling place. With him, we can have everything. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Down with all the things of the world that make God taste blasé. Done with trying to find those devices to satisfy. I am ready to worship you. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen, man. Psalm chapter 90, Moses. Does that boy know how to lead or what? Love it. Man, let's pray.